0: This is John Snyder for The Walk, talking with believers from all walks of life about their faith histories and ministries. What the world needs more of are men who are spiritually equipped to enter the battlefield of life with the same commitment and strength they would in major conflict. Today's guest is David Dusick. David is an author and popular speaker to the military, to men's groups, and to men's conventions around the world. He's the author of the book Rough Cut Men, a man's battle guide to building relationships with each other and with Jesus. David travels the world teaching tough guys to
1: be transparent with one another
0: and with Jesus.
1: Well, I will tell you that I lived the first 30-ish years of my life without the Lord. I was raised in a home uh, where there was no God. So uh, needless to say, I didn't have a youth group experience where I was led up to the altar. I had more of a, I guess, a head-on collision with the cross, if you <laughs> if you were going to call it something. Yeah. Um, I met the Lord as a result, really, of a marriage imploding, uh, lost my then wife and my two kids and Gee. my home and everything else. And I, I had my car and I had the things that were that I was able to pack in the trunk. I just left my home, which I had short sold, uh, just to get out of it. And I was driving over the Sunshine Skyway Bridge, which uh, I live in Florida, which spans from St. Pete uh, to Bradenton, Sarasota, which is where I live on the Gulf Coast. Mm -hmm. And it's notorious, excuse me, it's notorious as a jumper bridge. Uh Um, Uh Ironically enough, in the last two weeks, they finally put fences up. I mean, after After all those years, hundreds of hundreds of people have jumped off the bridge, but I was not a jumper. Uh, I just felt like I was at the highest point possible in the state of Florida at the time. And a lot of people in my life up until that point had said, you know, you really need Jesus, and my res- responses were typically less than favorable. And yeah. um, I cried out, you know, you, you really don't know how much you need Jesus until Jesus is all you've got. And that was where I was. And I said, you know, God, if you exist, I need to know about it. Uh, this would be an excellent time to show up. And as I drove <laughs> down the, as I drove down the far side of the bridge, every hair on my arm stood up. I felt. What now I know is the Holy Spirit. But at that point, I'm like, what this happened? And I was baptized in the Gulf of Mexico not too terribly long after that oh. and in ministry several years later and haven't looked back. Uh, joyfully remarried. Uh, God gave me a, a chance to be a, a spiritual leader and learn what it means to be a biblical husband, which uh, I married a joke that I married way above my pay grade. Uh, she's she's <laughs> She's amazing. Uh, and we we collectively, the two of us, have been running this ministry called Rough Cut Men oh. since 2008. So it's been a while now.
0: Well, that's a good story. That's good uh, good history. So God just sort of dragged you in there. sounds. I, like. I
1: think really that was it. Uh, and it was funny because the first time I ever had a date with my now wife, um, I was kind of marginal at best, and. She heard God very clearly say across the table that I want this guy on our team, and the rest is history. So I mean, really, I think he grabbed me at a time when I was in abject crisis, and I don't want to blow past the one major point, which is there were a lot of people that were planting seeds in me. Although I rejected those seeds, there was a point when all of those collective seeds over 20 some odd years Mm -hmm. uh, came to fruition when I hit that wall And I think we, you know, oftentimes we just give up because someone doesn't get it. But we don't realize that maybe 20, 25 years later, they're going to get to a point where whatever we said to them 25 years earlier uh, really comes to fruition. And that's what happened to me. It was all those people that had mentioned the name Jesus over me. And that was when I knew that I needed him, uh, although it was decades later. Well, God
0: is a good uh, bricklayer, isn't he? He, yeah, he, is. <laughs> uh, he prepares walls of all kinds, uh, and uh, sometimes that's the first encounter people have, is when they slam against it. Uh, but yep. that's that means he's there uh, after you anyway, and he is pursuing you. That, that sounds like it to me. Uh, that's, that's that's a good uh, yes, good witness. Thank exactly. you for that. Uh, give yes, me uh, now. You've written a book called The Battle. Yeah. And uh, could you give me a short summary of that book? And just uh, why did you write this
1: book? Well, to understand a little bit more about me, you need to know that I'm a complete and total movie freak. I love movies. I use them as parables and men's conferences all the time. My first book called Rough Cut Men was all movie clips. The live event that I do is all movie clips um, with biblical truth interspersed and not the movies that you would expect. I use some, some pretty uh, pretty pop culture movies. And as I was watching the movie, We Were Soldiers, I fell in love with this unit of 395 men that fought in 1965 in Vietnam. If you've ever seen the movie, you're probably familiar with the story. And uh, when I was sitting at my home, I heard God very clearly say to reach out to Joe Galloway, who was the UPI reporter that wrote co-wrote the book with huh. uh, Hal, Hal Moore, who was the commanding officer And Joe Galloway was actually embedded with this troop. He was a UPI reporter who went out into the battlefield uh, where they all consequently ended up outnumbered five to one and in essentially unbeatable odds and long story tolerable. I ended up at the landing zone X-ray reunion. Landing zone X-ray is what they call the landing field that their helicopters landed on. And every year these guys still get together. And we, my wife and I were sort of adopted into the family of, the 1st Battalion, 7th U.S. Cavalry, and through my time with them, interviewing not just them, but also their wives and their kids and their grandkids, I discovered uh, that all the tactics, techniques, and procedures that they used to defeat an enemy that they'd never seen before outnumbered five to one will also work against the enemy that the Gospel of John chapter 10 says wants to steal, kill, and destroy. Peter says, our enemy prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And of course, my life verse is out of Ecclesiastes, which where Solomon says we should pity the man who falls and has no one to help him up. And I think men in general are isolated. We're not, women are inherently so much better at connection than we are as men for the most part. We'll talk about our favorite football team, but we won't talk about our marriage melting down or a prodigal kid or uh, uh, terrible money management or all the things that are pride related. You're right. right. so that's always been the linchpin of everything that I do is to connect men in a real deep, authentic level. Um, so what I did was I took all these tactics, techniques and procedures that I learned from these gentlemen on the battlefield and I wrote them into a book. Uh, the subtitle is Tactics for Biblical Manhood Learned from the Seventh Cavalry in Vietnam. And so there are, there are vignettes from the movie. There are personal interviews with the guys, uh, all pointing back to how do we succeed uh, both in spiritual warfare and as husbands and fathers Uh, And that's what the book is really about. And then there's a 21-day devotional that we wrote at the end of it, uh, simply because I will be completely candid, I I have really good gym discipline and really good diet discipline, but sometimes my spiritual disciplines are terrible. And this gets men who read the book into a three-week regimen, you know, say three weeks forms a habit, get guys Mm -hmm. into a three-week regimen of spending time with God first thing in the morning, in a little more entertaining context than trying to slug through Leviticus, for example, or you know, <laughs> reading the Bible through the year. So that's really the whole premise of the book, is to help men engage with each other and win this battle uh, against this enemy that really wants to take men out. He's figured out that if you can remove a man, uh, you can oh, yeah. kill a marriage, you can take out a marriage, the kids, and the generational legacy yeah, and that comes after. Yeah, absolutely. So that's,
0: that's, that's, that's largely the, that's the happened, isn't it? In uh, in America and other places too. Oh, absolutely! Uh, take away the father, and you've got problems. I agree. With the youth. And Agreed. That's, I guess
1: that's why we do what we do. And yeah, uh, you know, I'm in ministry, and I you know typically want to quit right about every other Wednesday. And my wife <laughs> has has absolutely not let me do that in the last thirteen fourteen years because she is the recipient of my my connection with other men and guys that are supporting me, encouraging me, and when I need it, holding me accountable because their mission is to make me a better man, to make sure that my words and actions line up with who I say I am in Christ, and then she's the winner, and so are the kids and the grandkids, when I'm tight and right with God, and it's the other guys around me that really help keep me centered.
0: Well, when you came into an interest in ministry, uh, you could have gone a number of different ways, uh, how did it, it happen that you, uh, you got into this subject and wrote a book about this rather than uh, something else?
1: Well, I also do a lot of work with the United States Army. I've been kind of embedded with the Chaplain Corps all over the world. And so uh, this is kind of a, a twofold attack. I, I get to deal with men's ministry, which is really my passion, because I, I guess I lived my life without God for so long that I have enough of a previous life to be able to see the disparity between the two. And you know, there's no there's no backsliding because back there was awful, and <laughs> and I want I want every man to experience that. Now I I I and some of my my friends in in ministry will joke that we work with the most neglected people group in the world. You know, we'll spend bazillions of dollars sending uh, mission trips all over the world, and we'll dump thousands of dollars into a play structure for our children's ministry. But oftentimes, uh, the men are really the most overlooked. Uh, demographic in the church and outside of the church. And it's it's really kind of a paradox because like you said, men, you take out the man, you can ruin everything. Yet we don't as a organized church, so to speak, um, really invest the time or energy into men. Uh, there's There are rare exceptions, but the vast majority don't. And I think that's why I'm so passionate about it is I've lived both sides of it. And that's why I landed in it. Yeah,
0: men are, are neglected um, for sure. Um, and um, maybe that's one of the main reasons why men don't know who they are anymore because the culture doesn't like men much anyway these days
1: right
0: uh, let, let me just start off with a related question to that. What in your view, what is a man? How would you describe a man in just a few sentences?
1: Well a man who sacrifice a man sacrifices for his family, he loves unconditionally. he pursues Jesus, with uh in the number one spot no matter what i mean i'm a huge florida gator fan but jesus still comes in front of my florida gators uh it just that's uh so we passionately pursue christ we we love our family unconditionally we provide a safe place our home should be a safe place that's a chapter in in my book about headquarters being the secure location we need to provide that as well um, and we need to lead, but we need, my wife does not follow me because I say I'm the leader. She follows me because she knows that every morning I'm sitting on the couch spending time with God and my direction comes from him. And otherwise following me would be, would be ridiculous. Following me because I'm following him is really why her default is to just say, okay, most of the time. So that's really it. Uh, to just raise your kids. Well, train up a child in the way that they should go. So when they grow old, they, won't depart from it. Uh, it isn't about what you drive, what you do for a living. You know, our, our legacy, honestly, can be reduced to nothing more than words because there's going to be a holiday when we're no longer around the table and uh, they're going to be talking about us. And I want to hear, you know, he was a good man. You know, well done, good and faithful dad. <laughs> well done, good and faithful grandfather. And that should really be all of our missions And because if you get men right like that, then everything else sort of falls into place, um, and I think that's why the enemy fights so vehemently against it. Is yeah,
0: and because a, it's a handicap
1: to the whole family
0: and a very strong um, antipathy toward masculinity. Well, um, so the comment on the feminization of men, would you? The uh, the movement to feminize well, I don't think that's really any
1: Well, I, you know, I don't necessarily um, fault anybody for that, because if you look back historically, if you go back to Little House on the Prairie, if you watch TV, um, a little house on the prairie, you know, dad read the Bible stories and he was out in the yard working and then Mom rang the triangle for dinner and they all came in to eat together. We had an industrial revolution and several world war, yeah. um, which means that dad's no longer under the roof and no longer under the roof. The only logical candidate to continue to take the kids to church and exercise the spiritual disciplines with them at night and Bible study and prayer is mom because dad's either at war or at work. Mm -hmm. And so I think that over the, over time we've seen that now add to that a 180 degree cultural spin from father knows best. I don't mean to date myself, but from father knows best, even, you know, dating back to the Dick Van Dyke show. And I mean, I'm, I'm really going back now, but I've been there uh, too.
0: Been there too. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah, dad is a central figure. Leave it to Beaver. You know, dad was the central figure when he came home from work. Yeah. And now we have the likes of a Homer Simpson, you know, the buffoon, the bumbling moron yeah. type that's reflected by pop culture. Right. And guys sit there and watch it and go, okay, well, I guess it's okay to be Al Bundy and sit on the couch with my hand down my pants watching TV yeah. instead of leading courageously and loving my family unequivocally. And I think that's what – it's been a slow fade, Yeah. honestly. For I sure, and, and I've
0: I've witnessed the whole fade. I think because I've I've um, identified with all those people you and TV programs you mentioned there. So we're both we're both dated, but that's okay. I like being old. Um, <laughs> why why are men uh, so afraid to be men now, and why are they afraid to speak out about this issue as you are doing?
1: Well, I don't think that everybody is. I mean, I most of the guys I associate with are. excuse me, as, as diehard men as you can come across. But, uh, I think there's a lot of fear, fear of rejection. Uh, there's a lot of, right now there's a lot of, there's a lot of men and I, I parachute in and out of this, as I think most men do where we are, we're isolated. Uh, we're dealing with a circumstance that's that we don't want anyone else to know about whatever that might be. It could be huge or it could be relatively minor, but in our perception, uh, it's a grandiose failure that we don't really want to talk about. So as we withdraw, then we're we're traveling by ourselves. And then we're being fed by social media for the most part of what a man should be. Um, or we do stand up for something on social media, which is a terrible idea, just to put that out to your listeners. You'll never change anyone's mind by arguing with them on, <laughs> so, on social media. Um, and so we're yeah. seeing everything reflected that way. And and I don't mean to say that we're cowering in fear, but um, I personally have have ceased from watching the news and did back in 2016 and haven't <clears throat> ever since then, really. And I and I don't argue on social media at no. all because no, right. I my confidence in being a man comes from who God says I am and what a man is in the word of God. And so I'll stand by that. I'm going to argue with, with someone that has a different view of that? Probably not. Uh, but I think the culture is winning the war. Let's put it that way. Uh, uh, the war is won by Jesus, but I think the enemy is winning this particular battle right now, which is yeah. making guys not want to, not all guys. Uh, again, there's there's a lot of guys that uh, that are diehard biblical men who, who don't believe in domination or toxic masculinity or whatever the culture is calling it, uh, but they're leading their families. And, and that's... That's our job.
0: So you're mainly dealing um, with with military related men, right?
1: Oh no, uh, no. no, I spent I, I spend probably oh gosh, last week I was at an event in Elkhart, Indiana, at a church. Uh, this coming week I'll be in Portland, Oregon, uh, at an event at a church. Uh, pretty much everything right now, because of you know the conditions that we're under. Uh, I'm not really even allowed to wander onto a military base for the most part. Oh, sorry. right. So a lot of what I'm doing. I've always been 80% church, 20% military. Um, okay. It just has become—it's uh, become its own niche, and unfortunately, has become somewhat of our identity. But really, we're a, we're a ministry to men organization, helping churches uh, get guys to engage. We're a small group catalyst. I mean, if you really wanted to put it that way, there's lots of guys that go to the Saturday—I call it the Saturday morning—you know, burnt pancake breakfast once <laughs> a month. Uh, but that's where it stops. You know, they'll serve on the usher team or the greeter team or worship or parking. Um, They'll go to that once a month, Saturday men's gathering, uh, but the rest of the time they don't have a Jonathan. You know, uh, Moses doesn't have his Aaron and his Her to hold his arms up when life wears him out. And that's really our mission is to help churches, uh, and it crosses over into the military, but to help churches uh, get guys I create a need that a lot of guys don't even know that they have, that they need other guys in their life in a very military context because battles are won, uh, at a four man fire team level out on the battlefield, not on a giant division parade ground with 15,000 soldiers in class A uniforms and not a weapon to be seen. That's not where the fight is. And so getting guys to fight, you know, if you want to grow the church bigger, you make the the men smaller, (laughs) you know, you put them into small groups. Uh, And we all are, you know, I'm plugged into a small group and we stick to, you know, what study we're doing, whether it's Tony Evans or Robert Lewis or whatever, we're watching a video and we're always having these inch deep, mile wide discussions about the content. While I know that the guy to my right is dealing with the marriage problem. And I know the guy to my left has a child uh, that just went completely off the rails and moved out and he hasn't talked to for six months. Yeah. Yep. That. That large small group setting, so to speak, with ten or twelve men, is not the arena to do that. Uh, the arena to do that is over coffee somewhere, and you have to trust the other guy before there's a relationship.
0: Now, the churches are responding uh, to you well, are they? Oh yeah, with this message, yes. and they're they're oh, welcoming you. Okay. Yeah,
1: I've seen I've That's... seen probably in the last I don't know decade or so at least that I can quantify about 1,700 small groups that have spun off of the events that we've done, and some of them are still meeting. I had a guy come up to me uh, in, in Jacksonville, Florida, at another event I was doing, and he said, you know, you came to my church 10 years ago, and we formed a small group, and I just wanted to let you know that we're still meeting. There's four of us, and well, that's that's something that's, that's amazing to me, because yeah, that, that that's what it's all about.
0: Yeah, if you can get a small group that lasts for 10 years or more, that's very uh, that's successful. Uh, but you mentioned a couple places spiritual warfare. Would you like to comment on that for a few minutes?
1: Yeah, I don't think I mean uh, we know that we have an enemy, and we get glimpses of him uh, in Job. We get glimpses of him in Matthew when Jesus is talking to his disciples. We see him in some of the major prophets as well. Uh, we ran into him, you know, Adam and Eve, first two people on the planet, ran yeah. into the ran into him in the Garden of Eden, and so we know that you know when he fell that. You know, we know where he fell and we're living in where he fell. And the good news is that when we make a profession of faith in Jesus, we're we're kind of no longer citizens of earth. We're, you know, aliens. And Jesus I think mentions in John 17 when he's praying for his disciples, you know, uh, just as I'm not of the world, they're not of the world, you know, I'm asking you not to take them out of the world, but protect them from the evil one. And I really love that whole spin from a military standpoint because what Jesus is saying is we're citizens of heaven now and we're we're just here for a time, a season uh, in the military that would be classified as a deployment right. and we're on this spiritual deployment for however many years we're here. And so I think becoming acutely aware of the fact that, that the enemy is always there. He's always trying to uh, attack us on the computer, attack us in our thought life, attack us in our finances, attack us with our health, attack our marriages, um, everyone, if we recognize that all of that is a spiritual attack, then we can counter that by realizing, hey, I'm on a spiritual deployment right now. My home is not my home. My home is heaven. and right now, I'm essentially at a forward operating base. Now, Paul made it very clear in Ephesians six that every day we put on you know, we're not battling flesh and blood, that we should put on the full armor of God. there's there's no coincidence that, he used military jargon. Uh, obviously, it's sure. dated military jargon. We don't put on breastplates anymore or grab a sword. Uh, we put on, you know, body armor and grab an M4. But the idea is still the same.
0: Right.
1: And he was very clear in the fact that you know we need to be acutely aware of that. And I don't think it's preached on enough. Um, I don't think that people speak on it enough. That you know we'll give the devil a lot of credit for our own stupid decisions. But at the same time, um, I don't think that we equip men, say, hey, look, man, you know, that 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 battle with the computer that you continue to have, there are resources in place tangibly to fight that. uh, But you also need to fight that on your knees and you need to confess that to a couple of other guys so they can be on their knees because that's the way you win the war uh, is on your knees.
0: So it sounds like you're saying uh, prayer and scripture are the main Main weapons, absolutely.
1: I, I mean, that's how Jesus fought the enemy when he was out in the in the wilderness for forty days. Yeah. You know, he threw his own word right back at the enemy, and that was how he combated him. But, yeah, time in the word, and really, you can't sell short the fact that we need other guys in our life and not not to you know burn pancakes on Saturday morning. We need guys in our life uh, to talk about the issues that we're struggling with. I have I mean, I'll be completely candid. I have a prodigal son. he's twenty six years old. Uh, he lives in another state and he parachutes in and out of my life. But every morning I get up and I wonder what I what I did wrong. To feel like such a terrible father mm-hmm. and that hurts, you know, um, and when I'm that transparent, either in a podcast or on a platform or in a book, I believe it levels the playing field. And guy say, hey, man, if the guy with a microphone can be that big of a train wreck then it's okay for me to talk about my train wrecks with the guys that I'm sitting at this table with. And that's really how it happens, is I'm very real. And I've got a long list of disasters. Uh, some of them are still in some state of rebuilding or yeah. not rebuilding. They're still you know leveled like an earthquake. Um, and eventually, God will rebuild that, restore that. But um, that's the kind of stuff that men deal with all the time. And we wake up, we look in the mirror, we face our own worst enemy, and we realized, you know, I really failed as a dad. And if it wasn't for another guy saying, you know, you're a good dad because that's one kid out of five. Let's take a look at the other ones for a minute. And he's – the other one's coming back. Uh, I believe it. I'll, I'm praying for it. And that's that's what's gotten me through a lot of the things that if I didn't have those guys, I would be, you know, curled up on the floor in the fetal position watching <laughs> ESPN Sports Center. Sucking for your thumb, straight. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, because – And that's an an attack of the enemy. If the enemy can't attack us, he'll attack one of our kids. Sure. As the leader, we have to focus our attention on the kid, which takes our focus off of the mission that God set before us. And that's sometimes having other guys in our lives is the only thing that keeps us moving.
0: Uh, Thank you for all that. Um, I want to give you one more question, and I'm going to make it an open question or statement. Mm -hmm. Anything you'd like to say uh, before I run out of time that you wish you had said if you had not?
1: Yeah, for the... For the men that are listening, um, I know it's hard. I know it's a battle. I know that there are some days when we just feel like we're doing it all wrong. Uh, I'm going to encourage you, first of all, that Jesus has already won the war. Uh, This battle is temporary. Uh, God is bigger than any financial issue, any marriage issue, any kid issue, uh, any work-related issue that you've got. Uh, But I want to challenge you to reach out to somebody that you know. Uh, Maybe it's for your benefit, maybe it's for theirs, but make a date with somebody, go grab coffee, go out play golf, go fishing, whatever it is that you like to do, but take somebody with you, uh, because you're not probably the only one that's in the middle of a battle right now, and we all need each other, uh, especially after last year to get through this. And no, no, no soldier ever goes out into a firefight without Overwatch and without cover. And we all need other men in our lives. So guys, just just reach out to somebody. Uh, Go make a date. Go hang out. And just let the Holy Spirit lead the conversation. You've
0: been listening to David Dusick discussing his life's work and his book, Rough Cut Men, a man's battle guide to building relationships with each other and with Jesus. His book is available now wherever books are sold. This is John Snyder for The Walk. Make sure to watch for our upcoming guests sharing their faith and unique experiences of God's power and faithfulness. Thanks for joining us. Bye for now.